Well, good morning and welcome to Springbrook Community Church. My name is Richard Woolard. I'm the associate pastor here at Springbrook. And if you are a first or second time guest with us this morning, uh, we want to extend a special welcome to you. Uh, you should have received a program on the way into the service. If you would, go ahead and take that out with me for a moment. There's a, a welcome slip that's attached to the right side of that. You can go ahead and tear that off. If you are a first or second time guest, uh, there's a place for you to indicate that there at the top. And you can share with us as much information as you feel comfortable sharing. And if you'll bring that welcome slip over to the guest services table out the front of the lobby this morning, we have a special gift uh, for you just for being our guest. Be sure to let us know how you heard about Springbrook. And if you're a regular attender, if you could just put your first and last name on here and the names of any adults that are with you, uh, that would be fantastic. Just let us know you were here. If you've got a new cell phone number or a new email address, uh, just be sure and uh, update us with those changes as well. We'll be collecting those welcome slips uh, just a little bit later towards the end of the service. Well, today we're continuing our series uh, called The Art of Marriage. And uh, we're, today we're going to be looking at what it means to leave a lasting legacy. And uh, for those of you that don't know, uh, Pastor Dan's uh, dad, his father passed away this past February. And so they have been at the uh, memorial service yesterday. Their family came in uh, from around the country and uh, they're going to be together this weekend. And so I'm sure that he would uh, appreciate our continuing to pray for he and his family as they uh, just mourn the loss of his father. Uh, we've been looking at leaving a lasting legacy today. And uh, I ran across Dan's dad's obituary. And I wanted to share that with you this morning. Dan's dad's name was Frederick, and his obituary reads like this. Frederick Wendell Harrison, 87, of Rockford, went to spend eternity with Jesus Christ on February 28, 2012, after a long battle with Alzheimer's disease. Fred accepted God's free gift of salvation through Jesus in his 20s, and he served him throughout his entire life. The love of his life was his wife, Nancy, to whom he was married for 54 years. She passed away in 2003. Nancy was a composer of Christian music and had more than 100 songs published. Fred and Nancy attended and served at Temple Baptist Church in Rockford for more than 50 years. His survivors include his four sons and daughters-in-law, three of whom are in full-time uh, Christian ministry. And uh, he leaves behind 10 grandchildren, all of who I believe have a relationship with Christ. And so as I was reading down through that, I thought, man, that is, that is Fred's legacy. What a neat legacy to leave behind. I just... I pray that somebody could say things like that that are that nice about me when I pass away, right? I mean, we're all going to leave some kind of legacy behind. We all have an influence on the lives of people around us. And so what do you want people to say about you after you have passed away? You know, we could stop right there. and Just on those few words, we can have a conversation about what kind of guy Fred was like just based on that obituary. A legacy is something that we all are going to leave behind. And they're all different. You know, we have different kinds of legacies. Some are good, some are bad. Uh, but we're all going to leave a legacy behind. And what kind of legacy we leave behind is what we want to look at um, this morning. On the inside of your program, you'll find a green insert. And if you would, uh, take that out with me now for a moment. And let's look at the top, uh, the first two verses on the top of your outline. The first one's from Proverbs chapter 20, verse 7. And it says this, A righteous man leads a blameless life. Blessed are his children after him. And so what is a righteous man? It's not the self-righteous man that says, hey, I'm, look how good I am, or I'm a lot better than that guy over there. And so it's not a comparison between us and other men. Righteous means, it's, from God's perspective, we're found blameless, you know, primarily because of who we are in Christ today. You know, we sang that song a little while ago. It's called Forever Rain, and it says, in his presence, we're made whole. That would be a great thing to pray. God, just completely make me whole. And so when God looks down on us because of who we are in Christ, we're found righteous because of our relationship with him. 
The Bible says that because of Abraham's faith, it was counted righteousness to him. And because of who we are in Christ, um, we're found righteous. Not because of anything good in us, but because of who we are in Christ. And so a righteous man leads a blameless life. It's not perfect, but it does repent. It does confess. It does acknowledge wrongs. And so not blameless in a sense that it's perfect, but when it has an opportunity, when it does make a mistake, it acknowledges that and and, uh, apologizes for that. It repents. It asks for forgiveness. And so it's blameless in that sense. A righteous man leads a blameless life. Blessed are his children after him. And so if we leave a... If we live a life where God is present in our life, when we live a life that uh, when we live a life that is according to His Word, and we're, 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 we live this righteous, blameless life, our children are blessed after us. And so, if you think about Fred's uh, obituary, you think about his legacy. Because of his faithfulness, his children have all been blessed behind him. And we all leave different kinds of legacies behind. Some are good, and, and some are bad. Uh, but we all are going to leave a legacy. And so, we want to look at. Um, four essential qualities that we want to pass down today if we're going to leave a lasting legacy. But before we do that, I wanted to invite uh, Bill and Mary Zaletti to come out. Uh, Bill and Mary have been at Springbrook for about six years. Um, we've had an opp- I've had an opportunity to work with them through our small group ministries, uh, through our hospitality team. Uh, most recently, they actually are heading up the uh, cafe portion of our home makeover. We're seeing some great progress out there. And so it's been a pleasure for me to be able to uh, have an opportunity to serve with uh, you both. But Mary, why don't you uh, just tell us a little bit about your uh, tell us a little bit about yourselves? Thank you. Wow, there's a lot of people out there. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Let's see if I can remember this. Um, Bill and I met um, back in the summer of 1969. uh, Blind date. Here we are, almost 43 years later. Still married. Remember, 43 years. That's awesome. <laughs> um, we, um, we've been blessed with uh, two sons, uh, an amazing uh, 12-year-old uh, granddaughter named Gabby, um, who's a honor student and who is now beginning uh, to go to church and learn about Jesus, and we think that is totally awesome. And we have one more granddaughter on the way in September. So we're excited about that. Outstanding. I know uh, we've had an opportunity this past week to talk a little bit about um, legacies. What are some things that get passed down to us as a legacy um, that maybe we have to deal with? Maybe some things that we encounter in our own lives um, that we need to address so we don't pass those down to our kids, that kind of thing. But, Bill, um, I know just tell us a little bit about um, the legacy that you were passed down. Um, and then some of the obstacles that you've had to overcome maybe in your marriage relationship as you've thought about what kind of legacy that you've passed down to your kids. Just tell us a little bit about that. Okay. Uh, good morning, everyone. Um, both, when Murray and I first got married, uh, we, uh, we both independently brought debt to the marriage, not out of our own doing, but uh, mostly through health and some other situations. And it was a challenge for us to, to get that debt under control. Um, but we managed to do that, um, and very soon after that, I lost my job, which was really interesting. And we made a uh, conscious decision with God's help to, uh, for me to go back to college and finish my college degree with the GI Bill. So Mary worked and put me through college, and that was a challenge, but we got through that. 
um, I then went to work, and uh, the career that I chose, which was initially not anticipated, but it, uh, it caused us to relocate many times. I think eight times we re- relocated, and every time into a different state and even all across the United States, uh, which is a challenge for us, and with God's help, He took us to some great neighborhoods. We met some great people. Um, And it was always sad leaving our friends behind, but it was something that God helped us through. We retired a few years ago. And after we retired, uh, I guess you all know, this great recession they talk about came into being. Um, and Mary and I were pretty comfortable when we retired. We thought, well, everything's going to be pretty cool here. We've, we've worked hard. We've saved our money. We're frugal. We'll be able to get through this. And then everybody knows what happened to the market and our portfolio. And finally, we reached a point in early 2009. We just, we just absolutely turned it over to God. And we said, God, we, we can't deal with this anymore. This is your money. You've given it to us. You've entrusted it to us. Uh, whatever you want to do with it, if you want to take it away from us and, and, and let us do something else in life, that's fine. If not, we'll, we'll just live by your will. And we have, and he's been faithful to us. You know, there's probably three or four times I think I heard in there that you said you uh, trusted God. <laughs> you know, I think, um, you know, the way we manage our finances is a legacy that we pass down to our kids. You know, involving them in how we spend our money, involving them in the process of what it means to honor God with our finances through our tithes and offerings, what it means to have a savings. Um, just the way we manage our money um, is, is affects the legacy that we pass down to our kids. And, you know, moving around a lot, it, it has to be difficult to build relationships with people. Um, and so, you know, as I think about, you know, some of the dynamics that you've uh, gone through, um, all of those things addressed correctly have an opportunity to leave a positive legacy. I think the one that I've been most encouraged by was retirement. You know, I've always thought, you know, a lot of times when you talk about retirement, it's like, oh, I just get to sit back and do nothing, right? But it's been encouraging me, uh, for me, just to be able to see how you guys have said, as we've entered into this next stage of life, um, how can God use us? Uh, to accomplish his purposes. And so what a, great, what a great legacy to be able to pass down. You know, as you think about um, some of the things that you've seen maybe in other marriages, you know, what are some of the characteristics of other marriages, Mary, that you've seen, uh, that you've seen that in their marriage and you thought, man, I really admire that. I hope they can say that about me or about our marriage relationship. What are some of the observations you've made uh, through other relationships? Um, we, Bill and I attended... Um the um, Art of Marriage Seminar, and it was really great. And one of the things that we learned from that was that marriage is to reflect God's glory. And as I look out at you now, so many of you are part of our um, couples group, and you day by day teach us so much. I mean, you teach us... um, about reading the Bible together, studying God's Word, memorizing Scripture. You're such a good influence upon all of us, uh, upon Bill and I. And I know one of the things that Bill and I, um, how we feel really close to God, is by our uh, volunteering, um, by helping um, with things in our neighborhood, things with our friends. Um, but really important here is the volunteering that we do here. We just get so much um, love from God. I mean, he just works miracles in our lives when we're doing things like that, and that's um, one of the things that we enjoy doing. Yeah, you know, I think one of the keywords I heard you using there was influence. You know, it's, it's amazing 
just the way you live your life out um, has an influence on other people around you. And so people you know, make observations. Um, you know, we make observations. There's things in other relationships that we see that we hope people can say about us. But just being around uh, other people that have a positive influence on you, uh, for God, for his glory, uh, that's a legacy. It's, it's surprising to me just to think about um, how many people uh, watch us that look into our marriages and, and what a positive impact we can have because of that. And so as you think about you know, just this importance of a legacy, Bill, why don't you just uh, you know, describe for us what kind of legacy do you hope to pass down to your kids? As you think about your kids or your grandchildren or just future generations uh, to come, what are some of the things that you hope to be able to pass down to them? Well, clearly um, a Christ-centered life. That would be number one for us. Um, something we've lived ever since we've been married. Uh, we've taught that to our children. We hope that they continue that the way we've taught it to them. Um, but probably um, uh, one of the things that, that I look at is uh, I am a reflection of my father and my mm-hmm. stepmother. My mother died in the 60s, so... Uh, my father remarried uh, almost 30 years, and that's the only uh, person Mary knew. And that she was like a mother to us, to, to Mary and I. And also my father. And, and what you see in me, the way you see that I am every day, is exactly a reflection of what he was in terms of the work ethic he had, in terms of the uh, volunteerism after he retired and the things that he did. Um, and, and clearly a Christ-centered life for him and the church that they attended and all the activities they participated there. I also uh, feel it's important to uh, live a, a, a life of integrity and to, uh, on a daily basis, as I interface with people in our community or I call them co-workers, the volunteers I work with, uh, that the decisions that I make are Bible or biblical-based decisions, and they reflect Christ every single day. And I, I hope and I believe that it's true that most of the people that know me where we live know that I make those decisions and that, that I am a Christ follower. Hmm. That's outstanding. You know, I think sometimes um, we're not always fortunate to have positive things passed down to us uh, through our legacies, but it's encouraging to me that no matter what's been passed down to you, uh, that you can choose this day who you're going to serve, and you can kind of turn some things around for your kids. And so it's never too late to uh, turn things around. So it's a blessing to be able to have, uh, you know, somebody that has gone before you that's been able to pass those things down to you. I want to thank you for coming out uh, this morning, just kind of sharing uh, what God's been doing in your life. And so uh, we, we're going to continue to pray for you guys, that God will continue to guide and direct you. And uh, thanks again for coming out and sharing. <laughs> You know, I love some of the things that Bill uh, was talking about. He was talking about the importance of loving God. He talked about uh, how he wants to pass down um, the importance of living by biblical principles. And he talked about being a godly example. And those are, those are great things you want to pass down to the next generation, aren't they? You know, what do you want people to say about you after you die? You know, what legacy do you want to pass on um, to your kids, maybe just to the next generation? If you're not married, how do you want to influence um, the people around you? Um, you know, we're all going to die. We're all headed towards that. And so if you were to write out something that you hoped people would be able to say about you, uh, what would you have them say? In Family Life's marriage conference uh, a couple of weeks ago, they interviewed some couples and they asked them that exact same question. You know, how do you want to be uh, remembered? Some of the answers were this. I want to be remembered as a guy that paid off all my debt. <laughs> I want to be remembered as a happy person. You know, one guy said, uh, I want to be remembered 
as a man that met all of my deadlines. Um, one said, uh, maybe they say something nice about me, that I made people laugh, that I was a good parent. You know, I don't know. You know, what do you want people to say about you? Every one of us uh, is going to leave a life of influence or a legacy that, um, will go, that will affect future generations, that will affect this generation and affect future generations. And so this morning, I want to look at four essential qualities that we can pass down to this next generation that will enable us to live a lasting legacy. And these are on your outline. The first one that we want to look at uh, begins by having a relationship with Jesus Christ. The first way that we can uh, pass down a legacy that lasts is, is to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And uh, that's important. You know, I talk to people about um, the relationship with Christ. It's, you know, I love having those conversations. And most people don't recognize their need. You know, they think that uh, they look at the church and they think that's a crutch. Or they look at the Christian life. Uh, sometimes they see Christians and say, well, I don't want to be like that. And they compare themselves to others. And they look at Christianity in a sense that it's optional for them uh, based on uh, behavior or based on some kind of life circumstance. But I want to look at a passage with you this morning that, that explains why this is so important. It's in Genesis um, chapter 2. If you brought your Bible, um, turn with me to uh, Genesis chapter 2. In chapter 1, it says uh, God created the heavens and the earth, and he created, created everything in six days, and on the seventh day he rested. So he separated the day and light. We had vegetation, waters in, sty, uh, waters in the sky, we had stars in the air. And then on the fifth day, God created the fish and the birds in the air. And then on day six... God creates the living creatures on the land, and then he creates Adam and Eve. And so that's what you have in chapter 1. It's the creation order, the creation account. Chapter 2 focuses in on what happens on, uh, on day 6 when he created um, Adam and Eve. What really happens on that day. And so chapter 2 just kind of takes that one day and expands a little bit. And it says beginning in verse 7 of chapter 2, When the Lord God made the earth and the heavens... No shrub of the field had yet been made. The Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground, and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east, in Eden, and there he put the man that he had formed. And the Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden was the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And he goes on to explain you know, some of the scenery about the way the rivers flow and the water. Beginning in verse 15, he says this. The Lord God took the man and he put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat it, you will surely die. And so this is God talking directly to man. And then he says, it's not good for man to be alone. I'm going to make a helper suitable for him. So who did God tell not to eat the fruit? He told the man. And then he said, it's not good for the man to be alone. So he made Eve. And then it goes on to say, uh, beginning in uh, verse 19, that the Lord God had formed out of the ground the beasts of the fields, all the birds of the air. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. Whatever the man called the living creatures, that was the name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, birds of the air, beasts of the field. But Adam, no, super, no suitable helper was found. 
So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a sleep. While he was sleeping, he took the man's rib and he closed up the place with flesh. There the Lord God made the woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. And the man said, Now this is the bone of my bones, the flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of the man. And so there's a clear, distinct order here of this chain of command, so to speak. God creates man. God tells man not to eat the fruit. God creates woman, and then they're all together in the garden. But it's interesting because uh, we have this incident that happens where the fruit gets eaten and we fall from God's this perfect world. We fall as a result of the fruit getting eaten. And it's interesting because Satan is involved in this and, and Satan doesn't go after the man. Satan doesn't attack the guy. He doesn't say, well, God didn't tell you to say that. Who does Satan go after to eat this fruit? In chapter 3, it says this. The serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. And so he says to the woman, Did God really say to you, you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, Well, we can eat the fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say we can't eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden. We can't even touch it or we're going to die. And so Satan challenges her in that. You will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat it, your eyes are going to be opened and you'll be like God, knowing the difference between good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some of it and she ate it. And then she gave some of it to her husband that was right there with her. And he ate it. And the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and they made coverings for themselves. You know, Pastor Dan uh, several weeks ago talked about the result of this event and the impact that it had on men and women and how we relate to one another. And so I'd encourage you, if you didn't have an opportunity um, to hear that message, you can uh, pick one up, you can listen to it online. Um, That's called the fall. We were in God's presence, everything was great, they ate the fruit, and then we have this fall. And chapter 3 goes on to talk about the fact that uh, because of that event, um, Satan's cursed, the serpent's cursed, the woman's cursed, uh, and then in chapter, in, in chapter 3, in verse 17, it says this. And then he said to Adam, Because you listened to your wife and ate from the tree from which I commanded you, you must not eat. Curses the ground because of you. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken, from dust you are, to dust you will return. And so that is Adam's legacy to us. As a result of this event, this sinful condition... This first disobedience to God, Adam's sin gets passed down to us because we're human. So many times I talk to people and they think that sin is nothing more than behaviors. I'm not as bad as that person. I don't need Christ. What do I need Christ for? We need Christ because we're human and we're in a fallen condition because of this legacy that Adam has left for us. And that's why this next verse is so critically important. In 1 Corinthians 15, in verse 21 to 22, it says this, For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. Because of Adam's disobedience, because of his sin, that's been passed down to us. Sin is a condition because we are human. There is also an event, but it is also a condition. Adam first sinned, and we are all affected by it. But here is the great news. God knew that, and he has a plan for that. The solution is Jesus Christ. 
Death came through a man. The resurrection also comes through a man, comes through Jesus Christ. So in Christ, all will be made alive. If we confess our sins, if we confess with our mouth Jesus is Lord, if we believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, we will be saved. That's what a public confession of faith is. Coming to understand your need for a relationship with Christ is rooted in understanding the sinful condition that we're in because of who we are, because of Adam's legacy. But we can turn that around. We have the hope of salvation. In Luke, in Acts, uh, Luke writes in Acts chapter 4, he says this in verse 12. Salvation is found in no one else. There is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. There's only one way to have a relationship with God. In a sense that we had a relationship with God, Adam messed it up, but we can once again have a relationship with God because of who we are in Christ. And so this issue of understanding what it means to have a relationship with Christ is you really have to understand why you need that. And when I talk to people, it's just it is such it's such a fundamental thing that most people miss. The church is not a crutch. The church is a place that you can go to hear about this great news about the hope that we can have in Jesus Christ. It's in the church that we can hear God's word proclaimed so that we can enjoy this life to the full. We're not all just sitting around waiting for heaven. John 10.10 says Jesus came so that we can have life and we can have it to the full. We can have it right now. And so God's got a plan for his body of Christ. The church is under crutch and you need a relationship with Christ because you're human. Every one of us has come to the grips with understanding what that means. And it is amazing to me how many people don't understand that. I was 35 years old. I'd been involved in church. I'd been going in and out of church. I was 35 years old before I came to my understand my need for a relationship with Christ. My dad was in his 60s before he came to understand his need for a relationship with Christ. People in our community are confused and have questions about how to have a relationship with Christ. I want to ask you next week while you're at work or while you're sitting around having coffee or you're in the coffee shop, you know, start asking people what happens after you die. And I guarantee you that at least 80% of the time people will say, I don't know. They just don't know. This, the, the, our world is fallen. People are drifting away, not from the church. They're really falling away from God and they're rejecting who Christ is. And, and we have to be able to clearly explain to them why having a relationship with Christ is important. You need a relationship with Jesus Christ. Why? Because you're a sinner. Well, I'm not as bad as that guy. Uh, it's not an event-based issue. You're a descendant of Adam, and he's passed this legacy down to us, and we each have to come to understand our need for a relationship with Christ first. And until that time, you can't pass down a lasting legacy to your kids. A righteous man is found blameless, and his, his children are blessed. It begins by understanding who you are in Christ. And so this morning, I want to ask you, where are you today with understanding your need for a relationship with Christ? It's not just in our community that people have questions about what this means. People come to Springbrook. People come to this church all the time, and they want to know what church is about. They want to know how to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. This is how. Understand your need. Understand your need, confess Jesus is God, believe that he paid the penalty for your sins that we got from Adam through his death on the cross, that he was risen from the grave, and you will be saved. It is that simple. And for some people, it's just, well, it can't be that simple. There's got to be more i got to do. It is that simple. And until you have that, you cannot pass a lasting legacy down to your children. 
And so this morning, if you do not have a relationship with Christ, if I asked you to raise your hand if you had a relationship with Christ and you did not raise your hand, this morning I want to ask you to just make that your prayer. You know, say, God, I want to have a relationship with you. I believe that Jesus is God, that he died on the cross of my sins. I need you to come into my life and take control. You need to reconcile yourself to who you are from God's perspective before you can pass a legacy down to your kids, before you can pass a legacy down to your friends, before you can influence the people around you. It begins with that. And if you don't have a relationship with Christ, make that your decision today. That's the most important fundamental decision that you will make in this life is what you've done with Jesus Christ. On your welcome slip um, this morning, I had you tear that out. And if you want to have a relationship with Christ or you want to know more about that, I want you to just circle the number one and uh, or just write, I want to have a relationship with Christ on your uh, welcome slip. And I really want the opportunity to talk with you. But it seems so strange to me to be able to say, this is the most important decision you'll ever make in life. If you want to know more, come back next week. You know, if that's where you are this morning, after the service this morning, I'm going to hang around here. I'll be up at the front, and I would love the opportunity to pray with you this morning. And so there might be one, one of you, maybe five of you. Just go up to the front after the service. I'd love the opportunity to pray with you about that. Our prayer team is going to be meeting in the uh, office down the, uh, down the hallway to your right. And so if we can pray for you, for your marriage, for a friend, I want to invite you to go to the prayer room. Uh, they would love the opportunity to pray with you. But if you want to know more about how, relationship with Christ, if you want to make that decision today and solidify that, then stick around after, we, uh, after everybody leaves and just go up to the front. And I'll answer questions that you have. If, if you're uncomfortable with that, you need to process through that a little bit more, um, that's okay. Um, don't take too long. But uh, in two weeks, um, we're hosting a, a baptism class. And uh, we'll talk about this issue a little bit more. We're going to talk about our upcoming baptism service on June 10th, right here at Springbrook, right during the service. We're going to have our next baptism service. And uh, if you want to know more about that, you can come to the class on the 3rd. Um, but, you know, it's interesting because... Throughout Scripture, you don't find any stories of Christians that make faith commitments that don't get baptized. And so baptism is your first step of obedience. And so a person comes to understand their need for a relationship with Christ. They make a commitment, and then baptism is something that's symbolic of that commitment. And so I would love the opportunity to talk with you more about that. My wife and I, we got married. We made a commitment to one another. And then we exchanged rings as a symbol of that commitment. And so if I take my ring off, am I still married to my wife? You bet. If I put it on your hand, are you married to her? No. It's that commitment, that covenant that we made together before God that bound us together as husband and wife. And our wedding ring is symbolic of that. And in the same way, you enter into a covenant relationship with God through a relationship with Jesus Christ. And baptism is a symbol of that. And so if you want to know more about that, um, on the back of your welcome slip, you can just indicate baptism. And I would love to uh, talk with you about that. Baptism services are a celebration. The Bible says that when a person gives their life to Christ, the angels in heaven rejoice. It is a celebration. And I want to encourage you um, to make that decision if you haven't yet. And if you have, what motivates you? Do you realize that you have something that very few people in our community have themselves? And so share that. You know, the Bible calls us to be witnesses. All we do is share what Christ has done in our life. We don't have to be evangelists, uh, but we need to share what God has done in our own life through Christ and share that. That is having influence and passing down a legacy that will last. And so if you want to leave a lasting legacy, it starts by having a relationship with Jesus Christ. And then second, if you want to have a, a lasting relationship, or if you want to have a lasting impact or a lasting legacy, um, you need to honor your commitments. You know, it's through honoring our commitments um, that we really have the ability to have an influence on people around us and pass uh, down a lasting legacy. And I believe, um, seriously, I believe in my heart that um, there is no single factor 
that affects the legacy we pass down to kids and the commitment that is reflected or not reflected in our marriages. You know, that is such an important commitment. And when we stand up and we say, I make a commitment to love, honor, and cherish you till death do us part, and then we turn around six months later and say, just kidding, that influences the people around us. That influences the legacy with our kids. Children are the victims of divorce. And when we don't honor our commitments, that affects our kids. Now, the good news is is that God, through his grace, is able to work. He's got a solution for that, and he can work that out so that, uh, for his good. But let's not go through the pain. You know, let's, let's intentionally pass down a lasting legacy by honoring our commitments. You know, just, just briefly, just raise your hand really quick if you've been affected by divorce. If you've been affected by divorce, if you know somebody that's been divorced, uh, just anybody, you know, the majority of people have really been touched by divorce. You know, it touches everybody around you. It doesn't just affect the two of you. It affects everybody around you. And so if you want to leave a lasting legacy, your marriage will reflect that. In fact, in Genesis 2.24, it says this. This is why a man leaves his father and his mother so that he can hold fast and cling to his wife. And then they become one flesh. And I really like the ESV translation of the Bible. This is the English Standard Version. In the NIV, in the New International Version, it says he'll leave his father and mother and he'll be united to his wife in a sense that they're brought together and they're kind of stuck and they, they can't separate. So in one sense, they've been united. But that really misses the force of what's happening here. When a man leaves his father and mother and he gets married and he makes a covenant relationship before God to love, honor, and cherish, he needs to hold fast to his wife. And holding fast means there is nothing that's going to pull this out of my hand. I am not going to release you. You are stuck. You're not going to be pried out of my hand. Holding fast is you're not going to get this away from me. And that's a little bit different than just simply being united. Men, we are called to hold fast to our wives. And that is a commitment that sets the stage for all of our other commitments. And it's not just commitments through marriage, but just how we commit to other people around us. You know, when we, when, when we commit to somebody, we're going to do something, we need to do it. And so in the marriage context, though, this issue of commitment, I think, is the single most important thing that is at the root cause for some of the things that we're seeing in our community and through our nation. Marriage is under attack. Make no mistake about it. It is under attack. There was an article in the USA Today that uh, came out a while back. I got a copy of it. It's from USA Today, and and they're talking about marriage and what couples are doing. And it, it comes to the conclusion that people are afraid of commitment. They're afraid of commitment. Um, there's financial issues at play in their life. And it says that fewer couples embrace marriage and are choosing to live together. It says that marriage is losing ground to a grinding economic slowdown. It's more economically feasible for couples to live together than to pay two house payments. And they're afraid of commitment. And so it's losing ground because of commitment and economic slowdown that has prompted more couples to live together without tying the knot. You know, marriage is instituted by God. It's not just something that the state does. You know, in in, uh, John chapter 2, Jesus is attending a wedding ceremony. The whole idea of a man leaving his father and mother to hold fast to his wife and a wife being offered up by their family member and given to their husband is a process that, that reflects God's design for what marriage is. And when, 
when a man and a woman come together, they're coveting before God to love, honor, and cherish till death do them part. And it's a process that, from a biblical perspective, has merit. There might be some tax advantages to it. I don't know. But from God's perspective, there's a reason for marriage. And that's what Jesus comes together in John chapter 2 to celebrate. They're celebrating this wedding feast at Cana. Marriage is a biblical institution. It's a biblical, there's, there's biblical grounds for why we get married. It's not just a state issue. And so you can make a commitment to somebody to say, hey, I'm going to be with you and we'll stay together. But the marriage piece is what's missing. You're not married until you say, I do, and enter into this covenant relationship with each other before God. And people are choosing not to do that because of their misunderstanding about what marriage is, because of economic issues, and because of their fear of commitment. And the article goes on to say that unmarried couples living together, this rate is increasing. It's up 25% over the last 10 years. And so it's something that's becoming more and more common. And culturally, it's just kind of the thing to do. In fact, if you look up into some of the um, uh, northeastern states, as you go up into the northeast U.S., there are counties and parts of different counties in the United States where 35 to 50 percent of the couples just choose not to get married. They choose to live together. In fact, uh, and this is talking, this article talks about the fact that the Census Bureau is having so much confusion uh, because one of the issues that's coming up now is the large number of gay marriages. And so what they're actually having to do now is they're having to differentiate or separate between opposite sex living together couples from same sex living together partners. I mean, you read this article, you read down through it, and it is just, it's, it's flabbergasting to look at what's happening to marriage. And so not only are marriages not lasting, but people are just choosing not to do it, and it's being redefined. There is a crisis reflected in what's happening with marriages today, and we have got to stand up and defend what marriage is. We have to help people to understand its importance, understanding first that it reflects who we are in Christ. You know, the the Bible talks about the fact that the church is the bride of Christ. And so as you read down through Scripture, marriage is something to be honored and respected and revered. And we need to defend it. You know, for our sake and for the sake of our kids and for the sake of generations to come, we need to defend marriage and we need to honor our commitments. It begins with who we are in Christ, but it all boils down to uh, commitment. Uh, Philippians 2, uh, chapter 2, verses 5 and 8, it says this, Our attitude should be that... Uh, of like, uh, our attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. It goes on to say, being found in the appearance of a man, he humbled himself and became obedient even to death on the cross. And so Christ's commitment to us as a reflection of God's love and a part of God's plan, God's plan was is that Christ would go to the cross and, and, sac- and sacrifice himself to the point that there was death on the cross. That's commitment. You know, this death on the cross thing, it, that's important. You don't just kind of fulfill God's plan here in a sense that it, it led him to give up his very life. And that's the kind of commitment that God calls us to have as well. That's the same attitude we're supposed to have. Men are supposed to love their wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for it in a sense that there is nothing that's going to separate us. This commitment is one that we're going to hold on to, I'm going to cling to, until death do me part. That's the attitude that we're supposed to have when, it, when we think about commitment. 
You know, God wants us to be all in. Commitment means I'm all in, 100%. Our kids in the next generation are going to pay for that uh, if we don't honor that those commitments and honor what commitment means. In our spiritual gifts class, we talk about commitment as reflected in Christ. There's a story I like to share about breakfast. You know, when you sit down to eat breakfast, you eat uh, bacon and eggs. And so I love bacon and eggs. You know, it's uh, high protein, not a lot of carbs, just good for you. Uh, but there's two animals that participate in breakfast. There's the chicken, and he gives us the egg. And then there's the pig, and he gives us the bacon. Which one's more committed? The pig, right? That's commitment. I'm all in. <laughs> you know, the chicken, what do he do? He laid some eggs, and then he ran. You know, I think today there's a lot of chicken Christians. <laughs> you know, we need to be all in. Following Christ is not a pastime. We don't just give him our leftovers. God wants us to have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had in a sense that we are going to honor our commitments. We need to be all in. And when we are, we have influence with the people around us. And we pass down a legacy that's going to endure to our kids. So you want to leave a lasting legacy? It begins with understanding a relationship with Christ. Second, honoring your commitments. And then third, um, if we want to leave a lasting legacy, we have got to live our lives with integrity. You know, Adam's legacy was sin. He passed that down. Uh, you know, we're dealing with that. But this whole issue of living with integrity is really an important one as well. In uh, Proverbs chapter 4, it's written by uh, Solomon, one of the wisest men who ever lived. Beginning in chapter 4, he says, Listen, sons, to a father's instruction. Pay attention and gain understanding. He goes on, he says that a couple of times in verse 10. Listen, son, accept what I say, and the years of your life will be many. Then he goes on to say in verse 20, My son, pay attention to what I say. Listen closely to my words. Don't let them out of your sight. Keep them within your heart, for they are life to those who find them and health to man's whole body. And then in verse uh, 23, and this is on your outline as well, he says, above all else, guard your heart. It's the wellspring of life. Put away perversity from your mouth. Keep corrupt top from your lips. Let your eyes look straight ahead. Fix your gaze directly before you. He goes on to say, make level the paths for your feet. Take only ways that are firm. Do not swerve to the right or to the left. Keep your foot from evil. You know, we need to live lives of integrity. You know, he talks about guarding our hearts. You know, don't hold on. Don't harbor ill feelings towards each other. You know, if you think about your heart, the condition of your heart, I mean, it's not a physical thing. It's, it's you know, what is on your heart as you think about your relationship with other people? Are you angry? Are you mad? You know, don't let those things invade your heart. Don't be, you know, a two-woman man, you know, Guard your wife. Hold her in esteem in your heart. Guard your heart. It is the wellspring of life. Put away perversity from your mouth. Don't talk negatively about other, others. You know, don't, don't cuss. Don't swear. Don't talk nasty. You know, keep talk from your lips. Don't slander other people. Don't gossip. You know, let your eyes look straight ahead. Fix your gaze directly before you. We're to keep our eyes fixed on Christ. The Bible says that his word is a lamp unto our feet. You know, if we want to live lives of integrity, these are some simple things that we can just start to do. Guard our heart. Watch the way we talk. Let God's word guide and direct our paths. You know, that's what it means to live a life of integrity. You know, I was, uh, I've got um, four girls and a lovely wife. And I, I just uh, I love and cherish them so much. 
they are all women of integrity. And uh, that's something that I'm still working on. You know, integrity doesn't mean you're perfect. <laughs> integrity means you're, you're, you understand where you have areas for growth. And, and uh, you know, that's something I, I really, I want to be a man of integrity. You know, I've got the shirt. Uh, this is a Penske shirt, Indianapolis 500s next weekend. And so uh, I've got the Promise Keepers Man of Integrity shirt. I want to be a man of integrity. And that, that involves letting God's word guide and direct me. It allows other godly people speaking into my life and influencing me. I was in the store the other day, and I needed a battery. And I was thinking, I wasn't sure this was the right one. And, and so I, I carefully opened the package. And I slid the battery out. Oh, it didn't work. And so I slid it back in there, and I put it right back up there. And, uh, and uh, you know, you couldn't even tell it was open. And my wife standing there looking at me. She, what are you doing? It's like well, I was checking to see if the battery works. Were well, you going to buy it? You opened it. I was like, she caught me. I was like, oh, my gosh. My integrity was challenged. <laughs> you know, there's, there's things that we do in our life that we don't understand what other people are doing. They're looking at us. And, and we need to be able to make sure that we're being a good example. You know, when, when, when it's, I love what Carolyn says. Um, you might be able to do something, but you really need to ask yourself if you should. You know, I've got some friends that are police officers. Five, you're fine. Ten, you're mine. I don't know. And so, you know, I struggle with, I'm going 45. If you go 46, you're really eligible for a ticket, right? But there's this gray area. I get caught up in the gray area sometimes. You know, and so my, this idea of, yeah, you can probably get away with speeding, but should you? You know, I've got two kids I'm trying to teach to drive. Well, how come five, you're fine, works for you, but not me? Well, because you don't have the experience I do. <laughs> You know, we need to think about how we're living our lives out with integrity. We need to, you know, watch the way we talk, watch the way we walk. We need to walk the talk. And, and we need to fix our eyes uh, on Christ. We need to let God's word um, guide and direct us. And if we do that, then that leads us towards living a life of integrity. In uh, James 5:12, it says this, Above all else, my brothers, don't swear, not by heaven or earth, by anything else. Let your yes be yes and your no be no, or you'll be condemned. You know what? We need to be truth tellers. We need to tell the truth. You know, my four, my four girls have been such a blessing. I, I remember uh, our first one, uh, uh, I walked in, the second one was screaming. The first one was over there. And uh, I'm not going to give names, Katie. But uh, she's crying, and I said, did you hit your sister? No, I didn't hit her. And so I'm thinking for a second. I'm looking at this. I'm thinking something. I said, well, did you um, slap her? No. Uh, did you push her? No. I said, well, did you hit her with something? Yeah. <laughs> I said, well, then you're here. I said, you need to tell the truth. You know, we, we can't bend the truth to suit our circumstances. We need to let our yes be yes and our no be no. We need to be truth tellers. And when we get caught, we need to repent and apologize. You know, it just, we, we need to be truthful. We need to, we need to walk, uh, we need to walk the talk. We need to be people of integrity. And when we are, then that enables us to really pass down a lasting legacy. You know, this idea of um, living with integrity is so important. And so we need to understand who we are in Christ. Um, we need to honor our commitments, and we need to live with integrity. And then the fourth principle I just want to share with you real quick is the importance of making serving God and his purposes a priority. We need to serve God and his purposes and make those a priority. In uh, John 6:27, it says this, Don't work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life which the Son of Man will give you. On him, God the Father has placed his seal of approval. You know, we need to not work for things that are going to spoil. Do you realize everything that you see, everything that you work for, everything that you bought, those things are all going to be destroyed and fade away. Um, the things that are going to last 
are the relationships that we have with other people. Those we're going to carry into heaven with us. Everything else that you can see with your eyes is going to be destroyed. Don't work for those things. God provides for us through our employment. And that needs to be our attitude. And, we need, and, we need, and, and if it starts pulling us away from what God has for us and from his purposes, then it's a call to action. We need to do something about that. And so I don't know where, you know, everybody approaches their jobs differently, but don't work for food that spoils. You know, work for food that endures to eternal life. Those are the things that are important. You know, does anybody know the name Mark Zuckerberg? Does that ring a bell to anybody? Yeah. <laughs> anybody heard of Facebook? <laughs> you know, that guy, uh, I was reading, uh, you know, Pastor Dan sent me a link to something on uh, uh, Facebook last week. I thought it was really intriguing as you think about legacies. Mark's leaving a legacy, right? Think about the f- impact that Facebook has had. You know, it traded half a billion shares Friday. It's uh, $38 a share. It's all the hoop to do. Um, I don't know. Is that a legacy? I don't even think they make anything. Um, they sell advertising uh, to sell stuff that we really don't need. And so there's money to be made there, I'm sure. So it might be a good investment. But what kind of legacy is that? Now, I remember Blockbuster. I don't want to date myself. Blockbuster came out. It was like, ooh, DVDs delivered to your house. You know, that was, that was you know, same story, by the way. Great opportunity, same stock issue, went through the roof. Do you know where Blockbuster is today? You know, it's, it's gone. It, they pulled it off their trade. You can't even trade it anymore. The last trade, I think, was a penny, a, you know, a couple months ago. And so it's just gone. And so, you know, it's going to be interesting to see what happens with Facebook. You know, it might be around some way, but that's not really a lasting legacy that's going to, going to last, I don't think. You know, who invented the computer? You know, that's a pretty big deal, right? Um, who invented the computer? Anybody know? It wasn't Bill Gates. <laughs> it was invented uh, 150 years ago. It was a crank by a guy named Babbage. I had to go look this up, you know. So I don't know. Uh, then Alan Turing did one 100 years ago. But, you know, that's, not, that's just not going to last. You know, the relationships that we're investing in uh, with other people, that's what's going to last. The rest of these things are things that are going to spoil. In Colossians 3.16, it says this. We need to let the word of Christ dwell in us richly as we teach and admonish one another with all wisdom. And as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God, whatever you do, whether in word or in deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God for the Father through him. You know, so I'm not saying, you know, jobs are good, computers are good, uh, you know, Facebook, I don't know. I don't know if that's good or not. I think verdict's a lot. Depends on how you use it. Whatever you're doing... Whether in word or in deed, do it in the name of the Lord Jesus. That's where your legacy is going to last. And so you take something like Facebook. If you do that for God's glory, that's a lasting legacy. If we're just doing things to make money or you know, if we're doing things for the wrong reason, then that's not a lasting legacy. We need to focus on God's purposes for us, whether it be in our jobs, whether it be in our neighborhoods, in our schools, with our friends. We need to focus on those things that are going to have a lasting impact you know, we need to do whatever we're doing in the name of the Lord. And we need to focus on serving him and making his priorities our priorities. You know, this idea of serving him is so important. We have a spiritual gifts class that uh, Pastor Dan's going to be talking a little bit about in the next few weeks. But, you know, we have all been given a spiritual gift. Every believer has a spiritual gift for the purpose of serving God, for building up the local body of Christ and bringing God glory. And if you don't know what your spiritual gift is, I'm going to encourage you to sign up for that class because you can use your spiritual gift right here at Springbrook for God's glory to build up the local church, to have an impact for Christ, and to build passionate followers of Jesus Christ. That is serving for God's purposes. And so to the extent that you don't have an opportunity to do that because of other things, I just want to challenge you to make sure that they're not things that are going to spoil, fade, or go away. 
So I want to challenge you this morning to really to live a life that's going to pass on this legacy. We, we started by talking about the importance of a need for a relationship with Christ. That's kind of where we're going to end. You know, we need to choose this day who we're going to serve. And we need to choose this day to, to live a life that's going to leave a lasting legacy for our kids, for this generation, for our friends, and for generations to come. And so I want to ask you just to covenant with me this morning to make that commitment before God. God, help me to have a relationship with you. If you don't have a relationship with Christ, it starts there. You know, the Bible says that no one comes to him unless the Father gives him. And so it's just my prayer for you this morning, if you don't have a relationship with Christ, that God would prompt your heart through the work of the Holy Spirit to draw you into a relationship with himself this morning, because it begins there. A lot of people don't accept that. A lot of people reject that. In uh, Joshua 24, verse 15, Joshua says this, If serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourself this day who you will serve. Whether the gods of your forefathers they served beyond the river, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living, but as for me and my house, we are going to serve the Lord. And so I want to challenge you this morning to make a commitment to really live a life that is worthy of the calling that God has given you. That's worthy of the calling of who you are in Christ. And so I'm going to ask our ushers to come forward now, and we're going to collect those welcome slips from you. And and I just want to encourage you that if you are interested in baptism, check that box in the back. If I can pray for you this morning, if you don't, if you're comfortable, if you're not comfortable coming up to the front, and I can pray for you later, we'll make a follow-up appointment next week, and you want to know more about how a relationship with Christ, um, just go ahead and put that on your uh, communication card this morning. But uh, would you just join me in prayer as we uh, bring this portion of our service to a close, and we lift our tithes and offerings up to the Lord. Father, I just want to thank you. I want to thank you for the hope that we have in Christ. God, every time I look at the legacy that we've been passed down by Adam, you don't have to look too far to see that we live in a fallen world. Man, there's just, uh, there's just turmoil. There's just confusion. Um, God, this is definitely a fallen world. But I just thank you that in spite of that, you've given us an out. But through our relationship with Christ, God, we can come directly into your presence. There's, there's nothing that stands between you and us. We come right through Christ to you. I just thank you for that gift. The Bible says that he's our mediator, and through him I can come directly to you. And God, that is a gift. I just thank you for that. I just thank you this morning that we've had an opportunity to come together this morning to, uh, to uh, just to worship you through song, uh, through teaching. And I just pray that your word would be a lamp to our feet. I just pray that your word would guide us. And uh, this morning we just want to set aside some time uh, to give you glory. And God, to ask you to strengthen us for the calling that you've given us. God, help us to live lives that leave lasting legacies for your glory. And uh, this morning, I just thank you for all the ways you provided for our church. And uh, we lift our tithes and offerings up to you this morning. Uh, God, I just pray that we'd be good and faithful stewards with uh, the way that you provided for us. I thank you for uh, this church, for the opportunity we have to reach this community for Christ and to build up passionate followers. And God, uh, we'd lift our tithes and offerings up to you as well, God, to be used for your glory. And it's in your son's precious name that we pray these things. Amen. Our ushers are going to go ahead and collect uh, those.